0: Father, I thank you that you speak to us even though we're undeserving, uh, that you sit with us even though we are inattentive, that you care about us even if we're shallow, and that you are compassionate to us even if we are unkind ourselves. You are perfect, you are kind, and we are your treasure we don't deserve that at all. We don't deserve to have a God that reaches down into our lives with such compassion and and with such mercy and gives us such grace. But Lord, we we can receive it with humility, we can accept it and with faith we can depend upon it on you. Jesus, you are the picture of all that is good and um you show us what it means to be loved and how to love. And so I pray, God, that you'd help us as we read your word, as we uh, talk about it and uh, try to understand it, Lord, that you would help us and you would speak to our hearts and you would set us free from any any kind of um, hypocrisy or mask wearing that we're doing, that we would be open and honest with you and able to know you in a real way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're in chapter three of Ecclesiastes. We're gonna look at this chapter today. So I'm gonna begin by just reading the whole chapter. This chapter is very famous, actually. They talk about it at funerals all the time and um, other times it's it's mentioned in 1960s songs and all kinds of movies. It's a very, very popular part of scripture. So I'm gonna read the whole thing because it's kind of like, poetry at the beginning, but we're going to actually see, dig in after I read it to the lessons that it has for us and a real specific thing for us. So let's just read. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that which, in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of man are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That verse right there is important. I'm going to pause just to comment on it. He has made everything beautiful in its time. The, when he says that, what he means is that God himself is beautiful. And he has planted himself into all the different seasons of our life. He has placed himself there, and when when that plant comes to maturity and you see the flower bloom, you will say, it is beautiful. Even though right now we may not be able to see that it's beautiful, we will. And that's that's kind of an overarching theme of this chapter, what we are going to be learning. So I wanted to stop and mention that one verse because it's going to come back time after time as we're talking. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity... In the hearts, in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that what God does from beginning to end. So again, we see eternity, another word to describe God. And we're going to see that this, the beauty and the eternity is God's putting himself into our life. And we're going to talk about that as we go. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives And also, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. And those two verses, 12 and 13, right there, that is actually the centerpiece of this chapter. That's the whole way that we can understand this chapter. So, we're going to talk about those two verses deeply here in just a minute. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God does it. That man should fear before him that which is it which is has already been, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. now, the rest from this part till the end of the chapter i 'm going to summarize for you before we even read it, so you can kind of know what 's going to happen. it says uh, it's going to talk about speculations so. Solomon is basically saying speculations don't help us out. So if you try to speculate on why your life has turned out the way it is, or why things are the way that they are, or why um, certain things are going to happen or are not going to happen, he says all that speculation is a waste of time. So that's what this next section is about. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, and there is a time for every purpose and for every work. And I said in my heart concerning the conditions of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see what they themselves that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them as one dies, so the other dies. Surely they shall all have one breath. Man has no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage, for who can bring him to see What will happen after him? Okay, what is your lot in life? That's what this chapter is about, your lot in life. That phrase, your lot in life, comes from the ancient practice of casting lots, okay, where they would, uh, you know, maybe pull straws. You would put a bunch of different straws in your hand, and there'd be a long one in there, and the person who pulled the long one Pulled the lot or or you know, pulled the long string or the short string if you're getting the bad looking at it from the bad perspective. So usually when you're talking or thinking about your lot in life, you're thinking of things that are bad or the difficult things you've gone through. It's just my lot in life. I'm married to this weirdo. I'm I gave birth to these goofballs. Uh, my job is this terrible thing, my you know, body has like looks like this. All the, that's what we generally think of as our lot in life. Usually when we're thinking about our lot in life, we, the answer to that question is the con- conclusion of years of sailing on this ship of life and being beaten down by the wind and the waves. Okay, so just imagine years of sh- sailing on a pirate ship. Speaking of pirate ships... When is it time to paint another coat on a pirate ship? When its timbers be shivering. Always remember that. Get it? a coat? Okay, good. (laughs) I knew I'd have to explain that one to some of our crowd. All right. So the ever-present context of this question of what's your lot in life, how are you going to deal with your lot in life, is that we're all going to end up the same thing at the end. What's the end of all of our lives? Death. There's a big funeral, right? You're going to have, we're going to die. And, and so we've already kind of talked about that in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, but it's still the context of what we're talking about here. Everyone dies. So what is chapter 3 about? If chapter 2 introduced us to the fact that everyone's going to die, what is chapter 3 about? Well, We got to zero in to verse 12 and 13. So look at those verses real carefully. It says here, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice, rejoice, and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Another verse that is saying the same thing is down in verse 22. So look at that verse. So I perceive that nothing is better than a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage, or that's another word for lot, or his portion. Or who can bring him to see what will happen after him? This is the main lesson that the teacher or the regional manager here, Solomon, wants us to learn. There is a purpose for your life. And that purpose is a gift for you. It is not something you have to work for. Did you all hear that? Your purpose is given to you. It is not something you have to work for. It is your lot. But when we say lot, when he says lot in this chapter, he doesn't mean the the horrible things you have to go through in your life. He means God has given you a gift, a very, very special purpose. Your life is actually mostly outside of your control. Did you know that? Did any of you choose where you would be born? Or what color hair you would have. I mean, today, some of you are choosing to have green hair, which is totally cool. But we didn't get to choose it at the beginning. We didn't choose where we were born, what family we were born into, or any of these things. But your purpose is right there in front of you. It's right there for you. Your life matters. What you do matters. You have value and purpose, even if it's not where you thought it would be. It's ultimately found, I'm just going to give you the answer to the question, the, the whole big lesson. I'm not going to hold it for it until the end. This is the whole thing, okay? Your purpose is ultimately found in seeking and finding Jesus, walking with God through Jesus, who is God. Okay? Every moment and season of life is redeemed. Even your death is redeemed, fixed, completed. When we do it with God. That's the, the point, the main lesson. main lesson. Martin Luther, a guy who lived in the, uh, you know 500 years ago, he said, um, if I knew that tomorrow I would die, I would still plant this apple tree. He's talking with his wife. She's like, what would you do if you were going to die tomorrow? And they were sitting there having fun, planting an apple tree. And he said, I would still plant this apple tree. What did, what did he mean by that? He meant that my life has a purpose, and I'm going to rejoice in what I do. I'm going to, it's going to be enough for me. So spending time with my wife, um, planting this apple tree, which is what I was planning on doing today, it's not going to matter to me, but it's going to make a difference to the people generations from now that can pick the apples and can rejoice in its fruit. My life matters. That's what Martin Luther was saying. If someone came to me today and said, tomorrow you are going to die, Monday you are going to die, what are you going to do today? And I would say I want to spend the day with Dana. She's my best friend. We're going to go have a hamburger at Tappenburger. Burger. I'm going to get my favorite hamburger, my favorite drink, and we're going to do the same things we were planning on doing anyway. We're going to be married, and we're going to be parents, and we're going to do ministry. Even if it's the last day that I have, there's, I'm okay. I don't get to pick. And, and that's what Solomon is saying the secret is that he has found, the wisdom is. But not everybody deals with life like this or the problem of death like this. Most, in fact, do not. So we're going to look at our neighbors, and we're going to find out how they might deal with some of this life and death big questions. Um, so we so we have what Solomon tells us, which is enjoy your life. You have a purpose. You have meaning. Just live your life with the Lord. Love the people around you. We'll get into more of that specifically later. But we have other people who are like Eeyore. You guys know who Eeyore is? No bother, right? Always despair. Okay, so we're going to call these people nihilists. That's the psychological term, nihilism. Uh, they think life is awful. Everything is pointless. You got to give up. God is dead. And if they had the apple tree, you know what they would do? They would sit by the apple tree and weep. Oh, life is so lame. Anyone know anyone like that? Nihilists, constantly depressed and down. They're waiting for death to come, yelling as, you know, sitting under their apple tree and yelling at everyone who passes by that nothing matters. Lame, right? Well our teacher, Solomon, the regional manager here, he agrees with the part of this. They they have a part of it, right? He agrees that meaning is generally lost for a lot of things that we do. There's not a lot of meaning, but he maintains that God exists and God is knowable and purpose can be recovered through Jesus alone. It's the only way your life can really, every part of it can have true meaning. So, you know, if you're a nihilist, you got something right, but you're missing out on the big part of it, okay? Secondly, there's other people called cynics, people who are cynical. Anyone in here is cynical? They would say it's pointless to strive for fame or riches or work. Everything is for appearances. Meaning is a fiction. Your life isn't important, but hey, the mountains are pretty, So let's lie down and enjoy just the things that we can. So this neighbor, if they had the apple tree, what they would do is they would sit in the shade of the apple tree, but they wouldn't shave and they wouldn't put on deodorant. So they would be unshaven and stinky, and they would shake their head at all of your hard work and all your thoughts of meaning and value, and he would just eat all the apples until they were gone with their no deodorant and their big beards, men and women. Cynical women beards. The teacher, Solomon, he agrees. So we're, we're, we're kind of seeing that there's a little part of each of these philosophies that has that got something, but they're missing out. Okay, So he agrees that most of life is striving for pointless things. He agrees with that. But we don't need much more than food and shelter and relationships to be truly happy. Yet there is a God that must be known to have any deeper recovery of the beauty and the wonder of Eden and the promise of real life that flows in our veins. So he's saying it's not okay to just say this is what it is and this is what it always will be. He's saying you need to long for something better. You need to know that God has made you for something deeper and more. And that's where um, cynics go wrong is they have no hope, hope, no confidence that God is going to make it right. All right, the third group of uh, philosophical people we're going to look at is hedonism. Hedonism, they are self-indulgence and pleasure-seeking. And that's the goal of hedonism is, you know, have fun or die trying. Drive fast and leave a sexy corpse. This neighbor cuts down the tree and throws a party with all that was harvested. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's what the hedonist says. It makes you feel good, the party does, but it doesn't heal your soul. That's the problem with hedonism, okay? So again, our teacher would say, you can have fun. There's nothing wrong with fun, the teacher says, but there is a difference between lust and love, and you can't ignore it. There's a difference between grateful receiving and greedy consuming. There's a difference between the sacred and selfish. These are things that you can't deny, the teacher would say. Self-indulgence of hedonism cares nothing about people. It treats them as toys or property. Again, that's a philosophy that doesn't work. And it's critiqued here. That's what, what he's doing. The fourth group, the last group that we're going to counter with, with what we should do and how we should look at life and death um, is religious people, religious escapists or piety, people who have the philosophy of piety. They don't even bother with the apple tree, they run away. They let the apple tree rot and die. And they run away and hide and pray because death is coming. And that's religious escapism. They think, you know, religion, their religion is the only thing that matters. Even though Jesus never did that. Our example of how to be spiritual, how to be uh, a, both man and spiritual, is Jesus. And he never did that. He was always very present in the world. He was always, uh, he was not a monk, you know, that went off and lived in a monastery, he was a son. He was a person, normal person, eating, drinking, all the stuff. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a friend, as we shall see as we kind of get into it. A religious, overly religious person is going to try to ignore all of people's pain and tears. They're going to say, just live your best life now. Don't think about all that's broken or painful or all that's been lost. And it's sad because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus met people and, and heard what they said. He felt how they, uh, how they felt, and he, he had compassion on them. He loved them. Our coming death should lead us to plant an apple tree to bless those who are going to come after us. God sees what we do and he'll, you know, he'll reward his people for all the good that they do. Okay, so what does this mean for me? What am I supposed to do if I am listening to the teacher? If I read chapter three and I let it soak into my heart, let me give you three words that will help you to put this chapter from your brain into your heart. And that is practice his presence. Practice his presence. God is in all of the ordinary things of life. He's, he's not found in church exclusively, although you can hear his word and meet with his people, and those are wonderful things. But this is what our chapter is about, that God is able and he is in all the little things of life. I'm going to read our verse again, verse 12. I know that nothing is better than that, for them than to rejoice and to do good all their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. God has given us a gift and His the gift is not your life. Because not everyone could describe their life as a great gift. The gift is his presence. That's the gift, his presence in your life. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And, and a gift can never be earned, can't it? You can't earn a gift. No one ever says, well, you took out the trash 30 times, son, this year, so you get 30 presents on Christmas. Those wouldn't be gifts, would they? Those would be wages, and God says grace is always a gift. And so here his presence is the gift that he's talking about. That's the grace. You know, you guys ever heard the seize the day? That phrase, what, is, what is that in? Carpe diem. Okay. Nerds. All right. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I should have known that. Carpe diem. Well, instead of carpe diem, instead of seize the day, Our teacher would rather us think, he would rather us wake up each day and say, well, maybe open our hands, pay attention to what God is giving you and what he's not, receive with humility what he has given, and then enjoy it. You see how that's so much better than what am I going to do for myself today? What am I going to earn for myself? What am I going to create? What am I going to destroy? What am I going to do? He says, put all that away and instead just open your hands, look up and say, God, what are you giving me today? Here's a spouse. Here's a child that live with you. Well, I don't like them, God. I know, but I will bless you through them. That's what I'm giving you today to focus on. And I'm going to bless you through these people. uh, so that's, that's what he would say. There's a great book out there uh, written hundreds of years ago called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Don't even know his last name. And in that book, he writes about how he was a dishwasher for 15 years. Who loves doing dishes? Jesus, and I, I'm going to have you guys come over to my house later because I cannot find... And Julie wants them at her house too. I can't we miss that gene, the loving dishwasher gene. Anyway, Brother Lawrence was really frustrated by his life uh, of dishwashing. He felt like he was not really accomplishing much. But then he learned that it doesn't depend on changing what I do. My growth with God, my sanctification, my my progress as a as a, a child of God, it has nothing to do with what I do, but. Uh, you know, not by changing what I do, but changing why I do what I do. In other words, he learned to wash dishes for God with that as his purpose. He wasn't washing people's dishes. He was washing Jesus's dishes, and that changed everything for him. He started doing it for God instead of for himself. Um, this happened in my own life. I worked at a company called Voss Lighting, and it was a light bulb company. Um, and it was my dishwashing job. I hated it. Every moment of it, I couldn't stand. I was. It was working at a desk, punching in numbers to a computer, and finding light bulbs that didn't exist. And it was so frustrating. Right? I did not like it. And for years, I went through just like frustrated feeling in my heart. This is not okay. This is not what I want to do. And then God kind of helped me understand what Solomon is teaching us here, that he was with me, and that if I changed my perspective, <coughs> excuse me, I could see that God was with me and I was do I could do this for him and with him, and it changed my perspective. Has anyone had that same revelation? That same change? Yeah? Yeah? Moving beer for Jesus, right? That's right. Okay. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, some people think it's only prayer that that God that connects us with God, and it's true. When you pray, when you get alone and have a quiet time with God, and you pray, that is certainly a great connection with God. But that's not the only thing that connects us with God. Also, what connects us with God is, He says here, all the doing of little things, doing your life. That is just as much of a... God is right there with all of those things. So, you know, buying companies is what God... God's right there with you. Moving in in that. Or whatever all your other jobs are. Selling HVAC systems. (laughs) Um, So, our lot of life is a gift. And a gift... That we get is God's full presence all throughout this life. We get His full attention. We get His attention always fixed on us. He never ignores us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never forgets us. And He's not bothered by us. He's never annoyed by us. And He never rejects us, even when we absolutely deserve to be rejected because that's every day for me. I do things that offend God daily. So Solomon basically is telling us, instead of focusing on all the terrible things about life, how hard it is and how sick we are and how poor we are or how difficult things are, he's already done that in chapter 2, and that's fine. You have to do that. You have to know those things. Solomon says the better way to live is to lift your eyes to the giver of life and to see his blessings, his gifts, his presence, to do whatever you're going to do in life, but do it with God. That's, that's the secret, he says, to being happy. We've been given a place to be. We all live in Denver. We've been given some things to do, some needs that need to be met, and some people to share it all with. And we have all been given a God who wants to walk with us and provide everything that we need. That's what's beautiful, Solomon says. We can either respond to his gifts with faith and humility and walk with him or one of the other philosophies we talked about. We can be hedons or cynics or all those other things. Um, Corrie Ten Boom, everyone, you guys heard of her? She was a prisoner in one of the um, concentration camps in Germany. Okay, uh, She learned to give thanks. She writes this in her book. She gave thanks to God for her fleas while she was in the concentration camp because the harsh, abusive guards didn't want to be close to the prisoners who had fleas. So they would keep their distance. And Corrie Ten Boom made it a point to talk with God and to thank him for her fleas. He said, thank you, God, so much that you've given me these fleas because it shows me that you're with me, that you care about me even in the littlest things you're showing me that you are right there with me. She had joy even in a bad season, didn't she? She found that a God that was always giving gifts, and she was thankful, and she walked with him, and that's why she is such a, a huge mountain of, of uh, blessing to all the world today, her books. By the way, what's the difference between a flea and a coyote? One howls on the prairie, and the other one prowls on the hairy. (laughs) Did I just hear a rim shot? (laughs) That was awesome. So to restate our lesson... We should occupy ourselves in this life with the joys of God in the lot that he has given us. His lot he's given us is that he is with us. No matter what our season is, what we're going through, even amid the brutality of this world, and this leads us to what's called a moment-by-moment life or living. Moment-by-moment. Okay, that is great, to have a moment-by-moment, seeing the beauty of life or God making everything beautiful in its time, seeing how beautiful it is moment by moment. Man, even if you're having a rough day, you can still sense and know that God is near to you, that relationship, moment by moment. Okay, so people get that they should live moment by moment. In fact, all of our philosophical neighbors, they all do this. Let me, like the nihilists, they seek to live moment by moment, but what they do is they In order to rehearse the emptiness of it all, they're always talking about how empty life is. They can't let a moment go by of peace and joy. They have to be living moment by moment in their philosophical idea of nihilism. Or the cynic seeks to live moment by moment in order to mock the pretenses that we chase. You shouldn't be trying so hard, all this doesn't matter. The hedonist seeks to live moment by moment in order to limit pain and secure good sensations. Moment by moment. If I'm not feeling good or deadening pain, I'm not living. The religious escapist seeks to live moment by moment in order to secure the removal from the physical and the ugly so you have TV preachers with three-piece suits telling you your life is awesome, and if you believe otherwise, you're living in sin or have no faith. When life is sucky, most of the time, the experiences that we go through are difficult and hard, so uh, that doesn't work. Okay, But the Christian, the child of God, the true believer, they can walk with God each moment, by flea-infested moment, knowing that it's intimacy with God that is better than everything else in this life. In fact, intimacy with God is better than the worst things that can happen in life. And Jesus, our Savior, our God, he showed us this life. When he came to earth, he, he sought his Father. He lived a moment-by-moment life with God. Even as a boy, as a child, where was he found? In his father's house, seeking his father. When he broke bread, he was seeking his father. He was seeking his father when he had no bread. He was seeking his father when he was alone. He was seeking his father when he was joyful and with friends or when he was abandoned. He was always seeking his father. When his enemies mistreated him or even on the cross, he had one thought, my father, my God. Jesus lives what we are taught by the preacher here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He lived it, where he enjoyed every moment. Jesus, you know, and when he conquered death and died on the cross and rose from the dead, what did he do with his disciples? He ate fish with them. He sat down and ate a meal with them. You're like, Jesus, we got to get busy. He could have been saving the world. But no. He's like, that's not normal. I'm a normal guy. I like eating fish. And we have to eat every day. And I want to do that first with you guys because I love you guys. And I care about you guys. And I'm a normal guy. He knew there was a whole lot more that needed to be grown in his disciples' hearts through a normal, real relationship with God through him. Through a normal, real guy named Jesus. That's what his point was. All right, so... Now that we've kind of understood what the point is, we're going to briefly just look at the seasons of our lot in life. Okay? We have these seasons. And that's that part at the beginning of the chapter where he said these are all the seasons. He says to everything there's a season and a, a time for every purpose under heaven. You remember that part? A time to be born and die and plant and pluck and kill and heal and break down and build up and weep and laugh and mourn and dance, etc., etc., etc. I'm going to divide these into two lists for us, Um, seasons that are bad and seasons that are good. And when I do this, shallow people don't like the list that's bad. Immature believers don't like the seasons that are bad. But those seasons are going to come into our life, whether we like them or not, right? Depressed goths don't like the seasons that are good. They don't like that good list. They want to complain about everything, right? So here's the difficult seasons that are going to come into your life. A time to die, you're going to die, right? A time to refrain from embracing. There's going to be a time where you should not embrace. A time to pluck up what is planted. A time to lose. You're going to lose. There's going to be times when you're going to lose. A time to kill, especially spiders. There's a time to kill spiders all the time, a time to cast away, a time to break down, a time to tear, a time to weep, a time to be silent, a time to mourn, and a time for war. These are the traumatic things that you will go through in your life. It's normal and it is common and it will happen to you all of these seasons and it is difficult to find god in these moments in these seasons it's not impossible but it's it's just difficult but it's worth it is what he is what solomon says in this chapter it's worth it there's nothing better he says than for you to find that god was with you in the worst most brutal most lonely most tear-filled time when you felt like you were being torn or broken down or cast away, God was with you. And he says that that's the best. That's the best it can get in this life is realizing God was with you. Then there's these delightful seasons, the time to be born and embrace and plant and seek and heal and keep and build up and sow and laugh and speak and dance and love, gather stones together, and a time for peace. These are generally the good times. Some people want to ignore them, but they're still there. We can sense God's nearness, it seems like, more clearly during these times, and we learn to see hope through these times when they come like waves in our life. These uh, seasons will come on all of us. Our lives and our days are filled with them. And so are your neighbors. Every single person in here is living two or three or more of all these seasons at the same time right now. They're going through them. So a couple things to think about with these. You know, there's a time for birth, he says. Relationships begin and continue. And, you know, we have births and birthdays. Rowan just celebrated, we just celebrated Rowan's birthday Friday. And, those are, and he says, it's good to celebrate births and birthdays. It's good. And he says, then there's also a time for death. There's funerals. Some people say, well, maybe if I distance myself from all my relationships, I'll never have to go to any funerals, and life, will, I won't have to feel that pain. And that's not true. There's time to embrace and a time to not embrace. Physical touch can heal people, and it can also hurt people. you got to know when is the time to hug and when is the time not to hug. Speak and be silent. So many times people speak when they should shut up, and they're silent when they should stand up for what's right. It's important to choose the right one. He says there's a time for each one of these things. So here's the big question for us today. How do I know? How do I know which one to do at which time? And how do I know what season I'm in right now? Well, that's a moment by moment relationship with God. There's no forced rule of what season you're in and what you should do. You have to connect with God and you have to know him. And as you know him, You will be able to get through these seasons because these seasons are seasons. They're not rules. And you might totally screw up one. And the next time, maybe you learn something about the Lord and you choose something different the next time you go through something. So we have to humble ourselves and look up and say, God, help me. And then the next moment, we're in a different season. We say, God, help me again. And this produces a life that's constantly, moment by moment, a communion between us and God. God help me, and he says, okay, I help you. And then God help me, and he'll, he'll give you something in your mind. Uh, he'll give you a scripture. He'll give you a, a, a leaning in your heart of what the right thing to do would be, and you follow what the Lord is teaching you in your heart. It sounds complicated. It's really not. It's like asking your dad for help over and over and over again. Another example he gives us here is work has a beginning and an end. He says there's time to plant, a time to pluck, a time to break down, time to build up. You know, some people set their snooze way too many times. They don't know when it's time to work. And God says that's going to, you know, lead to ruin. And then other people don't know how to stop working. And that, he says, is also you, you got to learn that season as well, when it's time to stop every moment. How do I do this? How do I know what season I'm in and how to do the right thing? Okay, we're going to conclude with a couple of verses from the New Testament that show us that this is not that complicated. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says this, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. So Paul teaches us the exact same thing as this chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. There's a time and a season for everything. And for Paul, the whole point, and our whole point today, is this. Jesus is there with you, and he will give you a gift of not only his presence, but his strength to get through all the seasons of life. Sometimes you need strength to dance. We were on our vacation, and there was a great Dance party. Have you guys seen these dance parties where it's called a silent dance party? So everyone gets these headphones, and there's three DJs up on the stage, and the DJs are all competing, doing different DJing, and you can click on which one you want to listen to, and so everyone listens to different DJs, but they're all dancing. And that's my dance move I do for every dance. Anyway, it was fun. In our life, though, there's difficult things and positive things, Nice things and bad things. And in each of those things, Jesus says, I'm there with you. And I want to give you the strength that you need. You can depend on me. And that's what all these seasons are for, is for us to learn that we can depend on him. He's there no matter what happens. Our job is to have a relationship with, with him with humility and faith. That is our job. To trust him and humble ourselves before him, saying, I trust you and I need you. That's our job. God has a purpose, he's in control of everything, and he loves us through Jesus. Nothing is wasted or lost. Even the worst things in your life are going to be redeemed and healed. The worst pain you have ever felt, Jesus says, I am going to fix it. You can trust me. I promise you that. And that's pretty big time promise. Because there is a lot of pain in this world, isn't there? In the lives in this room, there has been so much pain. You guys have gone through brutal things. And that's just the things I know about. What about the things you don't even tell anyone? It's rough. But Jesus says, I am going to heal it. I am going to redeem it. Joseph had this perspective in the book of Genesis when he says, as for you, you meant this for evil against me when his brothers sold him into slavery and he was a slave for 15 years. But you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this day to save many people alive. Joseph had the key. He looked at life from God's perspective. He walked with God so much that he saw things the way God sees them. And that's what Jesus says is the point for your life. I'm going to take you through a lot of things, and as long as you're with me, we will see things the same way. And you'll start to see that when you go through pain, it was so that you could have compassion on someone else who's going through something similar, and I'm going to use your pain for good to save people. I'm going to use you. And if you could see things from my perspective, you would see, I'm going to fix it all. I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. We see things from God's perspective when we walk with him. And then lastly, we see things with his love when we walk with him. It says, everything will be made right in its season. Everything will be made beautiful in its season. In Romans 8.38, it says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in what? Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God is the gift, the portion, the the lot of your life. You get it. It's a free gift given to us freely. And his love is supplied to us by the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's showed to us. And it's all that really matters in this life, Solomon would say. So we can live this life and go through all its seasons and knowing that we are more loved than we could possibly know or deserve. That's what... It's about. That's the whole point. And our life becomes an ever-deepening discovery of God's nearness and what it means to be his beloved child. Every single thing we go through, that's the ultimate goal, so that you would know what it is to be a beloved child of God. And you're like, but it doesn't feel like that all the time. I know. Feelings stink, but God is there with us, and that's the truth. The last verse here we have is Ephesians 3.17. You're like, I don't really think I get how much God loves me. I don't feel it, and I haven't experienced it in my life. Well, guess what? Join the club. Because God's love is so big and so weird and so beyond what our brains can comprehend that Paul says he has to pray for us to be able to supernaturally understand it. That's how much God loves you, that your brain is too dumb to understand it. Your heart is too small to contain it. But that doesn't mean it's not true. And look what he says here, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through Faith, that you being rooted and grounded in all the good things that you do. What? Oh, it doesn't say that? doesn't say all my good deeds is what makes God love me? Or that's what makes me be rooted and grounded and be a good person? No. You can be rooted and grounded in love. And then that you might be able to comprehend. That means understand with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. So four dimensions to know the love of Christ with which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You're too dumb to know it, but you can know it if you pray and ask God for it. That's what he says. That's so crazy. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God's intention for your life is that you live a completely full, satisfied life. The word fullness is literally the opposite of the word vanity. Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of Solomon who is so wise and he tells us all the stuff in this life are vanity, is vanity. There's got to be another way. And Jesus says, it's me. I am the way, the truth, and the fullness of life. All the fullness of God. God says he created us to be a cup filled with all of his fullness. And that's what we I I've preached way too long today. I love you guys. Let's go ahead and wrap it up there. We're going to sing a couple songs. We're going to rejoice in all that God has done for us. Fathers, you are amazing. Vicky needs your encouragement, so make sure you stop by our outside over there. And um, during this week, I encourage you to connect with each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, and most importantly, invest in your relationships uh, with God, first of all, and then with each other. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll spend some time with the Lord, and then we'll wrap it up. Father, I thank you for walking with us through every single horrible, flea-ridden part of our life. It would have been so much easier if we didn't have to go through this pain of these seasons. But that's what life is, and that's what every human being has to experience on this earth. And I guess our big, huge goal isn't to try to eliminate suffering in this world, because it's not going to happen. Our big goal, Solomon would teach us today, and Jesus exemplifies for us today, and Jesus, you're calling us to today is to walk with you and to know how much you love us, even in these difficult things, that you would take upon yourself all of our sin and all the punishment that we would ever deserve, and you would in in turn adopt us and freely forgive us adopting us into your family and inviting us to walk with you as children of God, beloved. We thank you for that. Um, God, I pray that every person here would seriously consider your love. And if they can't understand it, God, I pray that, that there would be a simple prayer of God, help me to know your love. Help me to sense and understand your love. And help me to believe in your love. There is much evidence that you love me based on what Jesus has done for me, but my heart is slow to believe, and I pray that you'd help me to believe. You'd give me the grace to believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you guys stand with us as we sing these songs?